Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. Welcome to another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast. I have a guest today who I actually have interviewed a little bit before today's interview at the Selfish Philly Conference. I had the absolute honor of hosting the Community Matters panel, and I had some amazing leaders up there with me who have all agreed to be on the podcast, which I'm really thrilled about. And kicking off those recordings, we actually have Jamie. And Jamie and I were practicing how to say Jamie's last name before uh, the recording. So I'm going to put a little flair on it because I am one of those people who like really wanted to study abroad in Spain and didn't get my opportunity. So I'm going to live out that moment here. And now Jamie Herena is, <laughs> see, we got it right, is a mother, transformational strategist, speaker, and philanthropist. Beyond transcending the titles, she is a passionate soul on a mission to serve. Over the past 10 years, she has personally helped hundreds of people reframe their lives and design businesses that allow them to have the freedom and flexibility to be present and at ease with those that they love. Her passion is helping fellow sisters, visionaries, and business owners remove their limitations and rise to their highest selves. What she has found is that when we allow ourselves to connect to our sacred flow, we are able to step into the beautiful creations we were always meant to be. And this is something that, you know, I will say I have heard these types of intros and these types of bios from so many different people. But what I'm going to say to you and to the audience that there is so much lived experience that makes the fact that you have come to this place in your life and you're using that to help other people, it is so much more meaningful because of the adversities that you have overcome, because of the decisions that you have made, and also because I feel like when we have walked a harder path, we are able to more easily walk alongside other people who are in difficult times and give them the permission to actually know for sure, because you are a living, breathing example, that things can be different for them. And before I give too many spoilers away, I would love for you to share a little bit about your journey with the audience, because I still am learning about you. And the more I learn about you, the more I am just honestly amazed and inspired just by who you are as a person in your journey. So Jamie, over to you. You're so sweet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. And a little bit about my journey, really from the age of birth (laughs) up until I was about, I would say 18 years old, life was a literal hell for me. I was born a drug baby and both of my parents were drug addicted and gang affiliated. And so starting from such a young age, I was already exposed to violence, a ton of gang violence, blood and trauma were really the basis of the foundation that my life was built on. And so I remember just to kind of give you a little backstory, my one of the earliest events of abuse started from the age of two years old. And so it was sexually abuse starting at two and it lasted until I was 14 years old. And so trust was very difficult for me. Right. And I remember when I finally got to the point where I expressed it to my mother, she unfortunately did not believe me at the time when I expressed it to her. And at that point, I just kind of went down this path of self-sabotage because in my belief system, if my own family didn't care about what I was experiencing, why should I like if, if caring doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. Right. And so I went on to live a life of self-sabotage. I dropped out of high school. I picked up a ton of jobs. I partied a lot. I had a lot of sex and I just lived full out. And I found myself at this point when my dad was actually passing away, he was in the hospital and I was 18 years old. And I pretty much hit my first rock bottom at that point, watching him slowly fade away. And when he had passed, I was in a relationship at the time. He broke up with me because I was too emotional. 
<laughs> funny. And I was like, fuck it. I packed a suitcase and I moved from Connecticut and I got a one-way flight to California. So I moved to California and with my uncle, who was my dad's brother. And I wish I could say that it got easier, but to be honest, I pretty much raised myself my entire childhood. So moving in with a military background uncle probably wasn't the right decision for me, but it, it honored structure for me for the first time in my life, which was really, really nice. A couple of months after moving to California, I got pregnant and married. <laughs> and so, so I was what, like, All how right. old were you at this point? I You're, was 19. I was going to say, like, I'm tracking yep. this and you could not have even been 20. Okay. <laughs> yep. I was 19 years old and found myself pregnant and to a military man. And we were like, well, what are, you, what are we going to do? He's like, well, I'm deploying. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? He's like, let's get married brilliant idea. Sounds so, sounds great. (laughs) Let's get married and figure this thing out. And so here I am, 19, pregnant, married, no sense of identity, no sense of personal development. I took everything that I've experienced in my life and I poured that into my relationship. You take you with you everywhere. And I try to move. Trust me, I moved multiple times in hopes that my environment would change my internal environment. And it didn't work until finally I had to look in the mirror and ask myself what the common denominator was. And it was me. Um, The craziest part of all of it is I actually decided two years later after my brother was murdered by a gang that I had to leave my marriage because I was like, well, clearly it's my marriage. I'm unhappy. So I bounced and found myself as a single mom to two girls with $48 to my name on the floor of my apartment, bawling my eyes out, just asking for a sign, asking for anything. It was either take myself out physically from this world or I find a solution to all of the, these emotions that I'm feeling. And so I got a sign and it was the most beautiful moment because it was terrifying because I was the only one home, but I heard a noise and I heard a voice. But the voice said, if you can't find the light, you've got to become it. You've got to be it. And so I went to Google and I was like, all right, all right, God. How to become the light. No. <laughs> oh, just said one. Cult leaders are us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I went to Google and I just typed in how to be happy. And it was that little sentence that completely changed my life. It was like an emotional thinking about it. I was flooded with just articles and blogs and YouTube videos. And I found Tony Robbins. And so I became obsessed with personal development. I read 16 books in three months. I was going to bed with audios to rewire my unconscious mind. I was waking up with audios to rewire my unconscious mind. And I became absolutely obsessed with how our minds work. And it's because of my own experiences through my life and my ability to become a testimony from the environment that I was raised in, which is why I'm so passionate about what I do. You know, just watching one person and it could have been one person and I would have been completely satisfied, but it's turned into a movement of watching people completely rebirth from absolute ashes and finding passion and purpose and identity in their stories. Mm. And it's really interesting because, you know, I will, I will be completely honest. I think at this point in, you know, my journey, I'm not like, you know, the biggest Tony Robbins fan. However, I think that it is amazing that because of his presence and because of how mainstream he became, Mm -hmm. he was like the gateway for so many people to be like, wait, mindset, personal development, like what is going on here? Like I actually have a say in my life and like how I interact with my thoughts and how I feel and the people around me and I can change how I show up in relationships. It's amazing that it is that kind of first step that really starts to open the door. And going back to that part of your journey, do you remember what was like the biggest aha moment as you're first diving into mindset, personal development? Like what was the thing that we were like, wow, this is working? Um, I think it's when just the smallest things didn't trigger me. Like if I even had someone look at me in a certain way, I was triggered. If someone used a certain tone towards me, I was triggered. If someone like just touched my shoulder, I was triggered. 
there were so many little things that would happen that would cause me to semi-spiral. I was struggling with a ton of anxiety attacks. I was struggling with an eating disorder. I was struggling with just everything that was going on in my mind at the time. And I mean, post baby blues, right? Both of my mm-hmm. girls were under the age of three, three and under. And it was just such a crazy time. Financial stressors, all of the things. And so when I realized the amount of heaviness that was on my plate, yet my ability to be firm in my foundation, that's when I realized that it was working. Mm. And I think it's beautiful because in those moments, you actually don't witness the progression. But it's when you look back and you're like, oh, that didn't bother me. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, why didn't it bother me? And then you start to kind of replay all of the areas that you've expanded into and, and expanded beyond. And it's it's beautiful. It really has been such an incredible journey up to this point of just the witnessing, mm-hmm. the remembering of what it feels like to not have an irregular nervous system, right? Yeah. And one of the reasons that you ended up on the panel that I hosted is because you didn't just become the light for yourself and in your own life, you really took that a step further and you decided to become a light for other people who are in the darkness. And that's one of the things where, you know, healing yourself and doing your own inner work like that, that's one thing, but being able to rise up and stand in leadership and support of other people, that is a whole nother, you know, kind of like brand of personal responsibility and ownership. And then also essentially turning that into a way that you are marrying your soul purpose with, you know, your income stream and bringing those two things together, right? There is a lot that goes into that. And I think that that was one of the things that I really would love your unique perspective on what that transition looked like in terms of starting to answer the call to leadership and then also moving into that transition of monetization, Yeah. Well, it's funny because when I started my personal development journey, I also found network marketing. And so being a mom to two daughters at the time that were three and under, I couldn't really get a full-time position. You know, I was a high school dropout. I didn't have a college education. I had a trade um, certification as a nail technician, but that was in California. And at this time I was living in Virginia. So I had no pot to piss in. And so I remember like signing up for this network marketing company and I decided like, I have to do this. I have no money. I've got to figure something out. I've got to put food on the table. There were times where I couldn't afford really to eat anything besides like protein powder (laughs) that I had purchased. And I would give my kids like anything that I could discounted fruits and vegetables and still try to give them what I could because I was, I was broke, you know, I was broke at the time. And I found network marketing and because of how personal development is so big in network marketing and it's yeah, like the yeah. pinnacle uh, that you stand on, it was beautiful because as I was having these breakthroughs and ha- as I was having these realizations, I was sharing that online and little did I know I was creating a brand for myself and people were following, following along to my new realizations So anything that came up in my mind that I was stressed out about, but I found meaning to, I would share. And so that's kind of what started a little bit of a movement for me on social media. But this was over on Facebook. I wasn't really even into Instagram at the time. And so I created a little nest of people and I created a team in network marketing. Over a couple of months, I was able to go two levels away from the top of the company. And then I decided to pull out and go full force into coaching. Wow. Like, I love how this feels. I know that I can lead people. I know I have a message. I know I can support people in their journeys. I've done so much work already. Of course, there's always more work to do. But at this point, I was like, there is a former version of me that I can support. And so I went all in. I sold my car to hire my first coach. (laughs) Okay. That, wow. (laughs) I was like, we're going to figure this out. So I sold my car. I was able to buy another car a couple of months after that. And it was just, it was just the stepping stones. It was the stepping stones of trust, right? Like if I could be a single mom who left my marriage with $48 to my name, who threw myself into a suitcase and moved across the country, right? Like if I was able to do these things, then I could do this too. 
I know that I can earn that car back. I know that I can make this work. And that's also been just this deep hunger that I've had inside of me. And I don't know where it came from, but hell or high water, I know that I'll always be okay. And so, and that's a belief, right? Like Mm -hmm. that was a belief that I formed. And so because of that belief, I always know that I'm good no matter what. And so that's kind of how the beginning of my journey started. Um, and then, of course, it, it grew from there. You know, and I think that there's kind of like t- there's two different avenues that I would love to pull out of what you just shared. And the first is actually a little mini discussion about network marketing, because I know that there are some people who are like, it's amazing. I love it. It changed my life or like, you know, best thing I ever did or they're they're still involved in it. And then there's obviously this other side of the camp where it's like, that's the worst thing ever. They prey upon women. You know, it doesn't really matter. Um, Some people know this. Some people don't know this. But I, when I was going through undergrad and graduate school, um, I also was involved in network marketing. And I loved it. Like, I absolutely loved it. I loved the conventions. I loved the training. I loved the women that I met. Um, I loved how great I became at selling um, Mm -hmm. and actually selling in a really ethical way. I love the connections that I made. Um, And it was very empowering. Like, it was a really, truly very empowering experience. And I remember sitting at one of our conferences and I was looking out on, you know, a huge stadium, right? Like on the stage and the founder of the company was like speaking. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be the top tier consultant. I want to be her. I want to be that person. I want to be the person that's up on stage inspiring all of the people. And I was like, wait, that's what I want to do, right? Like that. And and, you know, here we are, like I'm hosting a podcast and doing all this thing. But so much of that actually came out of my experience and the things that I learned from being a part of network marketing. Um, So I really love that you have that in your story as something that you view as a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, I love network marketing. I'm technically still a consultant and randomly I'll get random paychecks and it's brilliant (laughs) for the work that I did many, many years ago. Right. And that's always a perk. And at the same time, same thing for me, I really wanted to feel like I had ownership over something and it wasn't so much of an attachment. I believe that it was something more of building a movement around a specific thing. Right. So many people, when it comes to network marketing, they build their brand, I guess, an umbrella of an item or a product or a service. I didn't want that. You know, I wanted it to be my brand and my company that people found truth in. Mm -hmm. People can see their values and people can see acceptance and, and love in and people can find rebirth in, right? And so for me, the avenue for me was to pull out. It was to go for full force into a movement for personal growth and not necessarily a protein powder and some skincare that didn't feel 100% in alignment with me because to be honest, I don't really use a whole lot of that stuff, (laughs) you know? And so to do that and to sell that felt out of alignment for me, but personal development, I do it all day, every day, still to this day. I can talk about that for, for days on end, months on end, years on end. And so it was a no brainer for me too. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think the other piece that I wanted to pull out of what you shared is the fact that when we go through really, really, really difficult things in our lives and you make it through, right? it really does start to create this confirmation bias around like, okay, well, I did this really hard thing and I'm okay. And then this other really hard thing happened and I'm okay. And then I did this and I made it through. And that's definitely something I can relate to on a personal level. I've gone through a lot of difficult things in my life. I will say, you know, if we're going on a big T trauma to a little T trauma spectrum, like you're going to take home the big T's all day. Um, But in the sense of, I also have that belief of like, no matter what, like I'm going to be okay. I can do really, really, really hard things and know that I have the strength and the knowledge and the resilience and the wisdom and the ability to inner resource myself to dig deep, to create that internal sense of safety that allows me to kind of like have this delusional sense of confidence around my ability to get through something. And I feel like that is something 
when I think about your story and other people's stories, it's crossing over to seeing the things that have happened in your life as things that have happened for you, not to you. And this is where we have a very charged discussion around trauma that I would love to kind of tap into that a little bit with you and get your perspective there. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, even if it is big T, little T trauma, the feelings are still the same, right? Yes. Nervous system work becomes a little harder to undo when it comes to big T traumas and all of that kind of stuff. But in the same context, we still all have the same feelings, right? We feel the same emotions. And so I always like to tell people, just because you haven't experienced what I experienced doesn't mean you haven't felt what I felt. Mm, that's really and beautiful. So it brings such a relatability to it because I don't want people to ever experience what I had to go through in my life, but they can relate to feeling not enough. They can relate to feeling unworthy. They can relate to what it feels like to have stiffness in your body because there's so much energy that you've never released in there, right? And so when it comes down to that, I think that it creates community and our willingness to be vulnerable and our willingness to share our stories and share our truth, because that's where people say, oh, I see a little bit of me and you, or I like that about you. And I would love to have that about you. And what I tell all of my clients is what you appreciate and admire about me are just parts of yourself that you've dissociated and that you're refinding over time. So we are not separate. We are all part of it together. And so when it comes down to my journey through trauma, I think the hardest thing for me that I still navigate on a daily basis is the feeling of not being enough or abandonment, right? And it's interesting because where it used to be just like an instant hardwire in my body, I'm the witnesser of it, of it now to where I'm like, oh, there's that thought. That's fun. <laughs> There'll be moments where like I feel it, I'll see it and I start to feel it. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not my truth anymore. And so people think that just because you've done all of the work that it just goes away, you just are able to see it differently now. And it doesn't carry as much of a charge. And you know how to utilize the tools and get out of them faster. Mm, yeah. I, for me, I definitely think that I, I like the things like floating through the sky, be like, oh, I, I noticed yes. that there. <laughs> In my mind's eye, I have this, and I'm going to date myself now. For those of you who don't know, I am an elder millennial and proud of it. Um, so there's a, like a shelf of cassette tapes. And my darling Gen Z's, if you don't know what that is, please Google it. Um, it's two S's, two T's, um, cassette tapes. And if that shelf gets bumped in a very specific way, there are these tapes that sometimes can fall off the shelf and get knocked into the cassette player and they get stuck. And anybody who knows what it's like to have a cassette player, like, you know, with a tape stuck in it, like, it's one of those things where you're prying that thing out of there. The whole thing's becoming unraveled. It's like a whole mess. And you really have to go in there and do that work. And once that's like stuck in there, it's really interesting now because I can hear it and it's loud. But then there's also this little voice that is kind of like fighting to be like, hey, but remember, like, we know that that's not true. Or, you know, you know that your fiance loves you no matter what, or your life matters. Or, you know, there's things that are about you that are important. And that voice when I was younger did not exist right. at all. Like once that tape was in the cassette player, that was it. And I believed what that tape was telling me 1000%. And then it's just trying to turn the volume up, you know, on the little voice that's like, hey, you know, that might not necessarily be true until I can essentially get that tape out of the player and back on the shelf. But it's always going to be on the shelf. It's never going to, it's never going to go away. Yeah. I love that analogy. And I was, I actually said this on the last podcast that I was on a couple of days ago, and I was talking about how last week I was having dinner with all of the kids at the dinner table. I now have three. <laughs> we were sitting and we were eating, and the girls were just going at it, like preteen girls going at it. They were, I don't even know what they were fighting about, likely ranch dressing. I don't know. And I just looked at them, and my body, my body was responding before my mind can think of what was happening. And so that's how I knew that was like, okay, trauma response, mm. something's going on. Your body's picking up on a sensation. What is this sensation? My body was like anger. I'm feeling anger. Why am I feeling anger? So before I can even, you know, answer all of the questions, I had to just pause. I told one of the kiddos to go upstairs to their room 
And I got up from the table and I went to the kitchen. I just like sat with myself for a moment and I was like, what is coming up for me? So went back to the table, we finished dinner and I was still feeling it still heavy on my heart. I was like anxious. I was angry. I was frustrated. It wasn't being expressed, but I felt it. Right. So yes, that's a testament to the work, but that's also a testament to me not being perfect. Right. And so I went on a walk and I was just kind of asking myself some elevating questions like, where is this coming from? What am I learning from this? What am I experiencing? And just allowing myself to go there. And what it, what happened was it brought me back to a moment when I was a child, when I was sitting at the dining table with my mother and my siblings. And we couldn't do that because if we did, we got hit, like brutally hit. And I was like, oh, so my body is reacting because I'm in fear almost. I'm still in this state of fear, Mm -hmm. even though I'm the parent and these are my children and I'm not going to hit them. It's still that feeling in my body that if I did this, this is what would have happened. And it just gave me so much love and empathy for that version of myself that felt completely irregulated at the table. You know, it's like we are all still children figuring it out. And it was just a beautiful moment that I had with myself and and remembering that like we get to rewrite our stories every single day, but it's how you choose to rewrite it and the questions that you choose to ask yourself that are going to either save your life or or hurt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I talk to people all the time about the fact that learning nervous system regulation, it's such a superpower because essentially what nervous system regulation does is it allows us to slow down time in a way so that in that moment you had the choice to either react, which you could have, that option's always on the table. You could have freaked out at your kids or yelled or like whatever was coming up for you, or you could respond, right? Which that was what happened. You're like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I know that I'm dysregulated. I know that things are coming up for me. I know that I need to dive into this a little bit deeper and figure out like, why my body is feeling so activated and choosing that as the path that you take. But a lot of people don't even get to the moment of choice because their nervous systems are so dysregulated. They're already living in fight or flight all of the time. So the second the littlest thing happens, your kids are arguing at the dinner table, you're already at 100%. So then you're in overflow, right? You're at 110, you're over at the top. And then you don't get a choice, you react. And then it's like, oh my gosh, that didn't feel good. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I would love to have a conversation with you about is just in terms of like your coaching, your community, where have you seen people start to step into having that awareness around nervous system regulation and how do you kind of lead by example in your community and with your clients? Yeah. So one of the first steps that I always make sure every single one of my clients does is when they come to me and they express what they want to create out of their lives and and what they're excited for. I always have them write down their list of shit. We always have to get clear on what it is we no longer want to be. And so we write down, I don't like that. I get lazy sometimes. I don't like that. I don't wake up whenever my alarm clock goes off. I don't like that. I am snappy towards my kids. I don't like that when my husband comes in the house. I'm like, oh, he's home. I don't like that. I Don't do something I say I'm going to do. And I have them write down all of the things, literally anything and everything that they can possibly think of and reframe it. Because we go so unconscious all the time that we actually are not conscious of the thoughts that are floating around in our minds. So to become conscious of them, we have to see them and we have to actually um, associate to them, right? And there is no bigger eye opener than seeing them on a piece of paper, (laughs) Because then that's when the emotions come up. That's when the feelings are there. That's when you're already triggered at your piece of paper. (laughs) But it's a beautiful place to be because you're getting honest with yourself. And when you're honest with yourself, anything that anyone else says about your list of shit, you already called yourself out. You're like, oh, I know that. I wrote that down too. Thank you very much. (laughs) I was actually talking to my daughters about um, my strategy. This is a little bit ago at this point, but I was talking to them about my strategy and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a total self-sabotage strategy again. And I was like, hey, what have you noticed that I do that I could get better on? 
And that was fun because they, they were like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> they're and like, you well, you open the door for feedback, mom. So here we go. <laughs> they're like, honey, take a seat. <laughs> <laughs> we thought you'd never ask. If somebody pulls out a list, you're like, where have you been keeping that? <laughs> just right. Yeah. Like, oh, gosh. Okay. This is awkward. You have okay. to make it that obvious. All right, guys. <laughs> Talk about nervous system regulation. Oh, right? my gosh. I mean, wake up call. Wake up call. Because before I asked them, I had actually written down a list of things that I didn't enjoy that I did. And so when I was sharing with them, well, when I was listening to them after I asked them the question, they were like, oh, well, you work a lot. I'm like, okay. They're like, and then when you're with us, sometimes you're not present. I'm like, okay. And then they were like, but then you go back to work and then you get upset that you have to spend time, but then you work and then you take a lot of naps and then like you're overdone, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> overdone. And I was like, that's so funny because my strategy at that point in time was I have to work, but then I get overstimulated with work. And then by the time I get off work, I have to parent. So I'm super overstimulated. So then I need a nap and then I need, and then I don't have enough energy to like redo work, but then I self-sabotage by eating junk. <laughs> Then you don't I feel good, don't right? Yeah. <laughs> so now I definitely don't have capacity for work and or parenting. So it's like this little cycle of sabotage. So when they brought that to my awareness, it was a wake up call, right? So I couldn't ignore it any longer because they knew it and I knew it. Right. So I had no one else to lie to about it. And your accountability <laughs> is coming from the people who live with you day in and day right. out. So no breaks. <laughs> so I couldn't hide from it if I wanted to. But that's the glory of getting honest with yourself. Right. That's the testament of getting honest with yourself. And you need to hit radical honesty before you can make any sort of change. And so mm -hmm. even if where you want to go is over here and where you are is like 10 miles away, at least you have a baseline, right? You have the foundation of where we're starting from. And that's the most important part. We can always bridge the gap, but if we can't bridge the gap, if we don't know where we're starting from. And so writing everything down, seeing it on a piece of paper, and then allowing yourself to experience enough pain to where you no longer associate with that version of yourself that you are. So this is where it gets a little like, I have fun with this, right? This this is where the play comes into place. This is where um, some of my other tools that I utilize, like NLP, come into place, where we get to distort the image that we've created in our minds about the things that we've written down on the paper, right? So for each thing, I, let's give an example of um, sleeping in or taking too many naps or eating unhealthy. I'll take a look at that and I'm like, okay, what has this caused in my life? Like what misery has this created in my life? And then I'll do a brain dump just on that one thing. This sounds like a lot of work, but I'm telling you it's the best work. Then you itemize that, associate enough pain to why you must change, right? And then enough pleasure to what that change would actually do for you. And so by doing that, you no longer want to associate with that version. You change the picture like you just you change the picture of your mind and you make this look really scary and you make this look really nice. <laughs> you make this look amazing and you begin yeah. to feel in the now what it would feel like to be that version of yourself. Because the moment that you can begin the conditioning, the reconditioning, we're conditioned all day, every day, but we're conditioned from the past. Mm hmm. So if we can allow ourselves to just visualize and think about what the future would be and pretend like we are already there, that is where the new neural pathways begin to be formed, right? And it takes time. There's going to be moments where we just self-loathe, right? Wallow in self-loathing. <laughs> we kind of go back to the old way of living. But the more that we practice, we have to practice. You can't get muscles if you don't work out, right? You can't get fit if you don't take care of your body. You can't learn a new song if you don't practice the lyrics, right? And so it's just like that. You have to be willing to recondition, to unlearn, to remember who it is that you are and who you've been born into. Yeah. And it's really a powerful exercise. And I, I tell this to all of my clients all the time as well, where 
we are conditioned to constantly choose what is familiar. It doesn't matter if it's unhealthy. It doesn't matter if it's not serving us. It doesn't matter if it's not going to support you stepping into your highest self. It does not matter. It is what is familiar. And our bodies are wired to do one thing and one thing alone, and that is survive. That's it. So we're going to go with the thing that's predictable, even if it's not helpful, because at least it's predictable. So anytime we want to do something different and we want to have change, it is in the category of the unknown. So essentially that exercise that you're walking your clients through is making the unknown the thing that's actually more comfortable, more desirable. So it's easier for people to move towards change, towards the quote unquote discomfort of being in the unknown because you're A, making it known because our brains don't know the difference between something you've imagined and a memory, right? That's like the amazing thing. And also when you make that thing, this amazing, desirable, juicy, delicious, like, oh my gosh, my life's going to be so incredible. I know what's waiting for me on the other side of this. The body is a lot more capable of accepting that because it doesn't put you into fight or flight at that point in time because you're able to stay in your parasympathetic because you've made it predictable. You know what it is that you're moving into. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is so powerful. And I love that like you're into all the nerdy stuff. (laughs) I'm like, she said neural pathways. I love it. (laughs) But also, I mean, and, and this is like another level of just love and compassion is familiarity oftentimes feels like truth. Right. And so just because, like you were saying, the known feels like identity, even oftentimes it feels like, no, this is just who I am. This is who I will always be. I was binge watching. Um, what is it? Um, the is it the ultimatum. Yeah. The ultimatum queer on Netflix. Oh, my gosh. Love. I just finished. <laughs> and there was a moment where one of the women was like, I am Puerto Rican. This is how I'm going to be. I am loud. This is how we're supposed to be. And then her partner was like, no, just because you're Puerto Rican doesn't mean that we tolerate disrespect. And that was a moment where I think it clicked for her, too, where she was like, oh, this was an imprint. This was a belief that I adopted that isn't actually my identity. And I don't want it to be my identity because that doesn't even feel freaking fun. Right. And so but but here's the truth of the matter. 95% of the thoughts that we have in a day are completely unconscious Mm -hmm. and they are that of the past. Mm -hmm. And so no wonder it's freaking difficult to create new belief systems and um, go towards the vision of the future that we desire when we're only working on 5%. And so in the beginning, it's going to feel like work. It's going to feel exhausting because you got to call yourself out every single time a negative thought comes up and then you have to reframe it and then you have to think of a new solution. So it's going to be work. But I promise you, it is the most freaking rewarding, rewarding work you will ever do in your life. Mm -hmm. And it is important, I think, to be able to talk to people about when you're first starting it, right? And that's, you know, the process that you did around, like, I took myself for a walk and then I asked myself questions, right? Like, that's become second nature for you. That's become second nature for me. There was stuff coming up for me the other night. I sat and thought about it. I like journaled like six to seven pages. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, yes. we did some validations of meditation, all that kind of stuff, was able to bring myself back into a regulated state. It's like almost fun for me now to be able to be like, oh, body, I know what we can do. I know how to help <laughs> you. Like, I get excited about it. But in the beginning, it didn't feel that way. Like in the beginning, it felt, it felt like number one, I don't know anything. And I started doing inner work after I was already a trained therapist way after I'd gone to graduate school. I was really great at helping other people, but like there was definitely a lot of things coming up in my personal life that I was like, I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. This isn't serving me. This is not who I want to be. And so when I started to go in and do the work, it was like, I thought I knew who I was, how I existed in the world, what my thought processes were, that they were mine and being able to dive in and realize like, ooh, nope, that was something that was given to me or I experienced something and the way that I experienced it as a child wired my brain. And now that way of interacting with this is now not serving me as an adult. Being able to go back and do that layer after layer after layer, it it is a lot, but it does get easier. Yeah, it does. And God, no, that is not how I used to respond. (laughs) I mean, in the beginning, it was total meltdowns, truthfully. Any little thing would set me off and I was either crying or I was like yelling. There was no in between. I I either 
I was running away from all of my problems. And so my model was to dissociate. It was to become super emotional. And honestly, how when I noticed the first shift happening and the things that I did that led up to the first shift that supported me was the unconscious audios that I was listening to. Because that was rewiring me. There were ones that I would listen to about anger. There were ones that I would listen to about forgiveness. I created a forgiveness practice, which allowed me to release like the feelings that I was triggered from the people in my life, right? And so I noticed a little shift in there, but it was the willingness to listen to the audios. Even if I wasn't changing anything, it was rewiring through me unconsciously. And that was really nice. And I was still reactive and I was still, you know, beginning to feel the changes, but I wouldn't say I was actively doing anything in the beginning. Now, where I notice a really big shift happen is when I learn to bite my tongue and sit with my emotions before reacting. And so there would be moments where I just go to open my mouth and I'm like, five, four, three, two, one, no, like walk away. And so then I would walk away from troubling situations, but that was better than yelling. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, but it depends on who you're talking to. Some people would rather be yelled at than to be walked away from. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's true. That's true. In this situation of my life with the people in my life, they would rather me walk away than to yell. And so then I was walking away, but walking away, I gave myself different questions too. I would always ask myself, what am I feeling? Where do I feel it? What's the problem? is this true? Mm. What else could this mean? And it began to expand that old lens that I saw the world through, Mm -hmm. right? That I saw that current experience to that event through. It allowed me to take a box and look at a different perspective, right? And so when you do that, that old belief system, that old trigger no longer has as much of a hold on you anymore because you're inviting yourself to see it from a different perspective. You're inviting yourself to elevate from the hole that you just spiraled into by asking greater questions and by taking the space that you needed. Because oftentimes our bodies are trying to respond to an event that we haven't even um, intellectualized yet. Yeah. And so zooming out a little bit from just inner work and, you know, working with the subconscious and the narratives and all that kind of stuff, what has been the biggest, I'm going to say the biggest challenge for you as you are walking this path and you're showing up in leadership and you're holding space for other people who are also doing this level of work, because that was something where the panel that um, I hosted, one of the questions that we came up with for you uh, was about the fact that when we share a lot of our journey and it's very um, trauma laden, and that is the thing that people ultimately identify with. And then you've created this community that's around empowerment and hope and being able to do, you know, this work. Um, It can be a big task, right? To hold space for people who are walking through that. And we kind of touched on that a little bit, but I'd love if we could kind of dive in a little bit deeper here in this space. Yeah. So I remember expressing that the number one thing that we always lead with is our core values. Like what is important to us about the environment that we're creating? For me specifically, one of the hardest things that I've noticed is not everybody wants to change even when they say that they do. They're not willing to do the work. And in the beginning, I used to take it so personal and I would feel like I am not doing enough to create transformation in somebody else's life. But do you see the problem there? I am not doing enough to create transformation in somebody else's life, which means that I am responsible for somebody else's emotions. And that's not fair. And so what I've done and what I've allowed my clients, like the grace in doing is radical ownership. This is my boundary. This is your boundary. How do I need to love on you so that you feel safe? This is how I need to be supported for me to feel safe. This is how I'm going to choose to teach and train. However, I will not teach and train if this happens, right? And so it's it's about creating a healthy environment 
for um, evolution while also honoring what's important to you. And Mm -hmm. so there have been times where clients would come into the space and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not receiving anything out of this and I want to leave and I want my money back. And one of the first questions that I always ask is, what were you expecting to happen? right? Like, what were you expecting to happen within this container? And then their thing was, well, I was expecting, let's say, transformation, or I was expecting to feel better or this. And I'm like, okay, what have you done based off of the work that we agreed upon? What, like, what was the work that you've been doing? And they're like, oh, well, I read the book, or I, I watched the video. Okay, what have you embodied? What have you been practicing? Because as we shared before, you have to be a student. And if you're just watching to watch, nothing will happen. You'll gain a little bit of um, competence, (laughs) right? But if you're not embodying it, then it's not going to create the transformation that you want, especially if you're still in the same environment. You're not changing your physiology. You're not changing the people that you surround yourself with. You're not honoring your soul set, mindset, emotion set, spiritual set, right? If you are not allowing yourself to immerse yourself in the work, change doesn't happen. You may have aha moments and those are beautiful. And this is part of the journey for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to be willing to continue to take the steps forward. Change doesn't happen overnight, right? You can get down to the moment that you decide to change, and that may take a long time, but it comes down to a moment that you still have to implement the new, tough, um, oftentimes daunting tasks of deciding to do something different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's been the biggest is just radical ownership and boundaries. Yeah, and... (laughs) Preach, sister, preach. I mean, I think that this is, and I get really excited talking about this kind of stuff because obviously, you know, I support leaders, but a lot of my clients are coaches. And people ask me all the time, like, you know, do you think that it's, you know, an ethical coach is somebody who's gone to this school or this training program or this or that or the other thing? And I'm like, no, none of the above. An ethical coach is a person who has indeed walked the path that they are going to walk you through. And they are simultaneously doing their own inner work to make sure that they are not bringing their shit into your sessions, that they have healthy boundaries, that they can hold this space for you, that they can create a neutral space, that they are holding you in unconditional positive regard, that if something's going on in their life and they are becoming dysregulated, they have support systems in place so that you don't end up supporting them. Also, conversely, they're taking radical ownership of what's theirs so that you can take radical ownership of what's yours, and they're not confusing the two. I just saw the other day, um, and this is like the amount of people I unfollow because of like the problematic things I see them sharing is pretty high. Um, (laughs) But this was, it was a coach that was sharing like, I, you know, I healed somebody's um, oh, borderline personality disorder, which as a therapist, I take issue with that whole sentence, you know, as is, but, um, I, like I, he, like they said that they healed someone of whatever. And I was like, first of all, like you're sounding like a cult leader. Just want to point that out. Second of all, no, if anybody healed anything, it was your client yep. that did the work to allow themselves to have their own healing and you supported them, you guided them, you helped them to see that higher version of themselves. But if any healing took place, they're the ones that get to take responsibility for it. And the fact yep. that you are stepping up and saying, I did that, I'm like, mm, you need to check your ego, son. You need Mm -hmm. to check it because that just to me is like, oh, wow, like I have so much ego and so much codependency going into my coaching containers. Like come work with me so that we can become enmeshed. Like, like, no. (laughs) I literally had a client come to me and say, thank you for healing me. Like, thank you for changing my life. And that's sweet. That's fine. But at the end of the day, I always preface this. I am not responsible for your healing And I am also not taking credit for your success, period, right? Like if you heal, I'm so grateful that you chose to witness yourself in the container that I created, but I don't take responsibility for that. That is all on you. All I did was ask a series of questions and I supported you through the evolution and and the journey of witnessing yourself every time. That's all I do. 
That's all I allow you to do. I lay it all on the table and I put some puzzle pieces together and I ask you if this makes sense, but you do it. At the end of the day, you're the one home with yourself. You've mm-hmm. got to do the work. So if any healing was to happen, it was because of them. Mm-hmm. And just like in the same sentence, I will never take any ownership of their success, right? Like they are the ones that did the work. They are the ones that were staying up with the late nights, making sure they were getting the work done, making sure they were making the posts or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like they did mm-hmm. the work. I didn't do that. I was fast asleep in bed. <laughs> I'm not calling them at 5 a.m. to make sure they woke up, right? Like I didn't do the work. I just held the space. Yep. It's the environment, right? And I think that that is where having a coach that is really going to help you to see your higher self, right? To feel empowered, to feel like, oh my gosh, like this is absolutely possible for me and create an environment where you feel like it is coming into your lived experience, into your reality. That That's the thing that's magic. And that's where like when people say, you know, oh, like I have the exact formula or I'm going to teach you to, or if you do this, you know, program, you'll get this specific outcome. Like, I'm like, that's, that is not how it works. Do do we wish that that was how it works? Yeah, of course. There's been plenty of times where I'm like, it would be so great if I could just follow a 10 step program and then be guaranteed a certain outcome or result. Millionaires. Right. But there's like (laughs) one problem with that. It's called human beings and we're just one giant walking variable. And that's where, so it's never going to be one size fits all. And so if you're looking to work with somebody again, like the ethical person is going to be the person who's going to be able to see you hold space for you and help you figure figure out what the best version of you looks like, because it's going to be different for you than it is for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously knowing that that person, when they are showing up in support of you, that's all they're doing. They have no ulterior motives. They have no hidden agendas. They're not bringing their crap into your container because they are practicing what they preach and they're managing their shit so that they can show up and support you. And if for whatever reason they feel like they can't, they're going to call you and be like, yo, I got to reschedule our coaching session today. I can't hold space in the way that, you know, we've agreed upon. And, you know, what does next week look like for you? And that's, I tell people all the time, like, I will always, always reschedule if there's something that I feel like I can't get in a place to hold space for you. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing, right? Like it's, our clients are such a beautiful mirror to us that if we decided to show up on the call, in those really rough moments where we're struggling, oftentimes it's going to rub off on them. They're going to feel it. Oftentimes the areas that we haven't done the work in, they hadn't done the work in, right? And so we get frustrated with them, but really we're just frustrated with ourselves. (laughs) It's a wake up call every time, but that's why it's so important for us to put more energy on the work that we pour into ourselves every single day. Like this is why we constantly have to be multiple steps ahead of the game because we are expanding into this version of ourselves that can hold the space for all of these people to feel and the space for all of these people to see their vision with um, within our vision, which means that our vision has to be so big to house all of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually, I think that that's a really beautiful space to really have a, a very mini conversation about um essentially like time and value and like energetic exchange, right? Because as a therapist, like when I was working as a brand new therapist, I was seeing six to eight clients a day. I was taking insurance. I was doing all the things, but I can tell you I was not showing up in a very good space because I was seeing six to eight clients a day. I had to do my progress notes like in between my sessions. Like I was so burnt out. I was not taking care of myself in any other aspect of my life. And so, yeah, I was like sitting there and I was therapisting and like maybe people were going to therapy. I don't know how much they were doing therapy because like I wasn't able to be the catalyst that I'm capable of being. And when I switched over to, you know, doing more coaching work, I was like, wow, like I really am able to have the space to take really good care of myself. And maybe I only see three clients a day and I'm really able to show up. But when I'm not seeing my clients, I am taking really good care of myself. I'm practicing nervous system regulation and self-care and all the things I need to be doing so I can show up there. But that's the thing that people, I feel like, don't realize unless you're in this space is that when you see a coach and they are charging under $150, $200, $250, it's not just for that time in that moment. It's for what actually goes into them being able to, to create that container and show up in the way that they're going to show up for you. Yeah. 
I think part of that too is also why I'm not a creature to this one modality, right? I think that different modalities support different people. If I showed up as just an NLP coach, right, people would feel some type of way about that because NLP back in the day was used as a form of manip- manipulation. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have this context to NLP, so they wouldn't have liked that. If I don't tell them that I do NLP and I just lead with being a mental and emotional release therapist or a trauma therapist or whatever other million of other modalities we have, right? It's not about the title. It's about your ability to communicate effectively with your client and making sure that you're meeting them with where they're at. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, they all do the same thing, which is help support change. And so when we understand that the more that we allow ourselves to just continue to be voracious learners and continue to learn different ways to articulate a message to resonate with somebody, the better. Because mm-hmm. someone is going to find hypnotherapy mm-hmm. better than Reiki, right? Some people would find that um, NLP is better than talk therapy, mm-hmm. right? There's so many, breath work is better than meditation, right? Like there's just so many different things that we can um, try to create change, help to create change in some people's lives. And it's all about when the client is ready. Yeah. And there is no, there is no right way. And that's, that's part of the reason I love being able to have this podcast because I can highlight so many different, you know, ethical practitioners. And I tell people all the time, find your right, try it all, right. See what really fits and what really resonates for you. And I think to kind of, you know, close the conversation, I would really love for you to share a little bit about your community and a little bit about like the evolution of that community, kind of like how it started and what that community looks like now and who it's really for. Yeah. So I really, I started off with a one-on-one support and for a long time, I loved it. I jived with it, but I felt like I wanted to make a bigger impact and, and be able to touch more people at the same time. And so I created a mastermind called Remind Her. And the story behind that is to remind the women that come inside of my container that of who they are and who they've always been. And they were always born out of love, right? We are here. It's a miracle that we're here. And it's the journey of finding love back in with us. And so it's your coming home story. And so the work that we do in the container is really for those women who feel like something is holding them back and that they're ready to release it, but they're also ready to like use their story for good. Use their story for good. It's about allowing themselves to take their past that had happened, forgive it, allow it to be what it was and find new meaning, new purpose in it so that they can use and leverage that to, to also create their own mission and message in the world. Wow. So it started out as one-on-one and then you have a group and then things grow from there on Instagram, right? Like you just grew this Instagram community. Yeah. So I've got an Instagram community. I've got a Facebook community. Um, and it's really beautiful because more than that, now we're creating, um, actually I haven't really shared this anywhere yet. <laughs> Sneaky peeky, but keep, so, we're pre-recording. So just keep in mind that this won't drop until like December. So like maybe so sneaky peeky won't be so sneaky peeky. <laughs> so it is a podcast. There's two things, a podcast that's launching and it's called Activate Your Inner Alchemist. So it's the Ooh, stories. Sounds and- juicy. So it's, it's actually going to be men and women, which I'm very excited about because I don't have any male containers and I get messages from men all the time looking for this work. And I don't think that there's enough of this work for them. But anyway, side note, and this podcast is an environment for people to share how they overcame the situations that they were going through and how they utilize their story in their life to create um, the movement that they're on. And so I'm really excited for that. And we're also going to be launching some merch. (laughs) Okay. Really excited about that one coming into the new year, but it's empowering, um, empowering merchandise that when you look at it, it allows you to feel something deeper and remind you of who you are. Mm, I love that so much. And I actually, it's really interesting because I have been feeling that so much about really, um, 
helping provide support, you know, for the the conscious masculine as well. Um, and I actually have dedicated a whole chapter of the season that you're going to be on season two of the Sacred Leadership Podcast to being able to hear from men that are doing this work. So, so far we have had uh, five different recordings with men who are stepping up, answering the call to leadership, really like having that conscious conversation um, and the way that they talk about just being able to be in good balance polarity and supporting the feminine, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, yes, like this is so good. Um, but I, I am right there with you. And so if people want to connect with you, the community, um, you know, add the podcast to their list, we have the podcast name. Um, what do the people need to know? Yeah. So, I mean, you can find me on really anywhere and everywhere. It's the same. It's Jamie Hedena. <laughs> Which is Uh, (laughs) G-E-R-E-N-A. I know. I I say it like it's something easy to spell out, right? Like my first name isn't even the normal Jamie. No, it's not. It's Jamie is Jamie with a Y, which you guys will have all of this in the show notes for yourselves. But if you, for whatever reason, are listening while you're driving and you're wanting to make sure that it's in your mind, Jamie is J-A-Y-M-I-E and then Herena is G-E-R-E-N-A. That's going to be the same on Facebook, my website, Instagram. You can find me there. Oh, this was such a great conversation. I feel like we got to cover a lot of different bases and I'm really, really grateful for you taking the time. Jamie actually just came off of a like three hour marketing conversation with shoving snacks in her mouth when we like got on the recording. I'm like, you're good, bro. And she's like, I'm good. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm like, all right. Yeah. It was like a little, little bit of wild start, but, uh, I like you were so fully present and I really appreciate you taking the time to to share yourself and your story. And if your community resonates, I really encourage everyone to go ahead, find Jamie with a Y um, and, you know, just introduce yourself and follow along. Amber, it's been such a pleasure and such a treat. Thank you for your beautiful questions and your ability to just hold the space in this container. So it's been amazing. There you have it. Another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast on the books. I hope your time spent here served you and nourished you. Join us every Tuesday for more honest conversations and powerful insights. Remember, exceptional leaders share the wealth. Send this episode to someone who would benefit, leave a review to let others know about the show, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Talk to you soon.